1: This is Bite Into It on 3 R, and on the panel tonight is me, Dan Morganti, and we have Laura and Warren.
2: Hey there, Dan. How's your night going?
1: Yeah, very well. And we've got a interesting episode coming up this week, as always. Um, how are you doing, Laura?
2: Oh, you know, just recovering from hours of video calls to hop on another video call to do some remote radio.
1: Yeah, it's a... Uh, Technology is amazing these days. Good thing we're on a a talk show about uh, technology, hey?
2: For sure. I actually am in one of the suburbs that was just recently um, turned back back into four weeks of quarantine. So I'm actually quite excited that I can call in remotely and still participate in the show and feel like I'm part of the world. So, you know, tech, tech does help.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, Hey, so... We have some really cool guests, but do you want to chat a little bit about the news that's happening this week? There's been so much going on um, with deplatforming and hate speech and stuff. Um, and like, I'll kick it off. I've seen so much happening the past couple of days, uh, starting with YouTube. They banned Stephen Molyneux, David Duke, who's like the KKK guy, and Richard Spencer and more people for hate speech. Um We've also seen changes to Reddit recently. So there's been a couple of um, Reddit subreddit um, channels have been banned completely because of inability to adhere to their community standards and rule blurking content. And that does include r slash the Donald, which is a wildly popular and obviously wildly polarizing subreddit. Has that one you'd ever had a look at, Jen? Uh,
1: yeah, I've come across it uh, a few times. It's not one that I frequent. It uh, seems to be that kind of edgy internet boy humor of just saying the most offensive thing. But uh, mm. it becomes really insidious when people from far, ex- or far right extremist groups actually uh, infiltrate um, those kind of subreddits and actually start converting, um, yeah. you know, d- disenfranchised young men, it seems to be predominantly. And um, mm. yeah, it's a, yeah, it's, it is quite hateful. Mm. Yeah.
2: Interestingly, Reddit also chose to ban um, Chapo Trap House, which is a left-wing podcast. And it's, I think perhaps this is an attempt to show that they are punishing everybody for failure to like abide by their guidelines, regardless of whether they're on the left or the right side of the spectrum. But I know that's one that's going to be polarizing in many left wing communities because lots of people really love that podcast. And, you know, they, they have this whole vibe, which is like slightly cheeky, slightly pushing the envelope, but apparently it gets pushed even further and perhaps, um, turns into this really like bad culture on the subreddit so interesting to see how people on both ends of the spectrum are being like um sort of pulled upside for for doing the wrong thing essentially
1: yeah absolutely and this Um, i think sorry um, go ahead
2: oh no i was just gonna say i think i can see warren has joined us on the call are you there warren
3: i I am still hanging around
1: i think (laughs) we can hear you yeah Uh, just a little bit of technical difficulties uh thanks for sticking with us on this time uh all good warren
3: yeah, not going good. Um, what, what what have you noticed on on Twitch, Dan? Like, what's what's been your experience, or have you kind of seen, um, a, a, I guess, a more um, concerted effort for them to to sort of yeah, um, well,
1: well, well, like Laura was saying, it seems to be across the board with a whole bunch of creative industries and a lot of social media um, companies, uh, and Twitch is yeah on the. On the offensive when it comes to uh, foul behaviour, um, a bunch of streamers have actually been banned because of sexual assault allegations. So five streamers specifically: I am Spoon, Wolf21, Bless RNG, Dreaded Cone, and Warwich TV. Um, have all been banned for sexual assault allegations, Uh, often sexual assault allegations from other streamers. Um, So women who said that they dealt with the abuse from these particular streamers were amazed that after all this time of Twitch actually failing to take action, uh, the company has finally actually done something. Um, Like Lady Nass uh, said she's stunned um, uh, and she didn't expect anything to steamroll the way it has. Um, and many other streamers as well. Um, and this comes uh, as well as the shuttering of Mixer's Doors, which is the main competitor to Twitch, where a lot of streamers uh, are now uh, homeless, uh, to, for lack of a better word, um, and uh coming back to Twitch, uh, as well as another streamer band under dubious circumstances, uh, who is one of their biggest, Dr Disrespect, who you can tell by his name, uh, rides that edgy internet boy humour that we were just discussing about from the likes of Donald a different kind of edgy humour but it says it all in the name Dr Disrespect he's been banned Mm -hmm. and Twitch has given no official reason other than stating a breach of the community guidelines Um, and yeah the rumor mill's spinning out of control on that one Uh, But this comes uh, across video games in general as well. A lot of management companies uh, for video game streamers uh, coming under fire as well, a lot for sexual assault allegations, as well as uh, embezzlement from uh, other streamers and creatives in the industry, and even video game companies and developers. uh, Chris Avalon, who was most famously the writer on Fallout uh, New Vegas, Um, many women have come forward claiming uh, sexual abuse from him. it's just staggering that this is all—all all these platforms and all these social medias, uh, they are all coming to a head with these kind of uh, this attack on abusive behaviour.
3: How, how do you, how do you, folks, generally feel about um, it? It feels like there's a, a, a large kind of bloodletting going on here, and things that should have been sort of taken care of a, a, a while ago. What are the, what are the kind of pros and cons to sort of a, a, a big clean-out and a heavier policing of some of these platforms? And how do you feel about um, certainly not um, some of the allegations around sexual assault and, and hate, hate speech, and so forth? But I guess. Um, uh, how do, how do we balance freedom of speech and people? Kind of, um, I'm thinking about things like lame jokes and kind of, you know, just um, bad taste and and things that kind of um, seem to go part and parcel with some some corners of the of the web um, versus things that obviously need to be taken out. I think in the past it's kind of uh, all been a kind of uh, granola of kind of sometimes bad. Sometimes in poor taste, sometimes absolutely awful behavior, and platforms have been fairly reluctant to police it because it's it's hard um, mm. and expensive and so forth. What, what's a what's a good outcome? Kind of like six months from now, in, when when the dust settles, do you think what what kind of what kind of platforms do you want to be on?
2: Can I can I pitch something here? I think if we see consistency in the uh, actual application of these rule sets, that to me is a good is a good outcome. Like, I think right now, um, one of the biggest complaints against all of these platforms is the way they ac- actually apply their rules seems to be really patchy, really inconsistent. And there's also this issue of shadow banning of people like just getting kind of sort of deplatformed, but not really and not making it official, therefore not necessarily having to have any kind of review or discussion about why they did it. So I think if we can see more of these like decisions being made publicly and more rationale for why they're being made and making it as clear as possible like what level of hate speech is inciting violence versus you know what level of hate speech is expressing your constitutionally or you know not protected rights to free um I mentioned I-
3: For when you do actually get shadow banned, because it's it's so frustrating Mm. when that happens. Imagine the Lori. You've been slightly less interesting this week. Um, Just (laughs) (laughs) ahead.
2: That's just me with all of my cat content, Warren. That's just me forever.
1: Okay. I'm 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 conflicted about the entire situation, as Mm. I hope most um, sane people would be, because yeah, it is that that line of free speech and um, dissuading just hateful content. Like you don't need that kind of stuff in the world and for something like sexual abuse allegations where we've been living in the Me Too era for a while now and people or like these people in particular just don't seem to be getting a message that it applies to everyone, not just people in uh, Hollywood. Everyone needs to be taking uh, considerate consideration of their actions and how it affects others. And it's just like staggering that there's this many people on Twitch who are or, you know, in, in all forms of media that are still being caught out for this kind of stuff. it's
3: Maybe Australia can um, dig into the coffers and uh, put up some cash to, to help the platforms with this. They've recently invested uh, an announcement today, $1.35 billion to fight cybercrime uh, over the next decade. Um, uh, yeah, it comes after recent uh, reported large-scale attacks on um, a variety of levels of government and, and civil society, which um, we'll have a chat with uh, Dr. lemon Chang um, uh, shortly on the show. Um, interesting. Uh, a lot of money. I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of know because we don't sort of keep constant tabs on, on what's being invested in this area and what, you know, um, Australian Signals Directorate's getting and ASIO and, and so forth. Um, I, I think there's actually some interesting initiatives. If you kind of um, take it at face value, there is some um, good stuff in here. Um, things such as a, a cyber threat sharing platform, uh, enabling industry and government to share intelligence about things that's going on, Um, I think one of the things that can be difficult with um, uh, sort of coordinated attacks is people don't realise that it's happening uh, across a a large part of the community. Um, So I think that's a good idea. Um, Yeah, helping telco networks, 12 millions going towards um, uh, helping major telcos to to block known malicious websites and computer viruses uh, a lot quicker, which is good. Um, Yeah, a variety of things in there. But um, maybe we'll have a chat with um, Dr Chang uh, uh, in a few minutes on the show about um, is this a the, the right level of investment that's been announced today? Um, and should we also be concerned as well? There's kind of, obviously, pros and cons to this. Um, it's good that we can be vigilant around cybersecurity, but uh, sort of individual citizens um, uh, having their rights diluted and uh, and their freedoms kind of um, uh, overshadowed. But perhaps we'll have a chat in a sec. Um, there was another uh, interesting thing. Laura, there's some news in uh, space and some exciting news out of Melbourne in terms of space.
2: Yes. Yes, that's right. Australian researchers are going to be leading the development of a new generation of space suits in a collaboration that involves NASA and the European Space Agency. Um, so they're going to be developing three different kinds of decompression suits to be used in different circumstances, and this is dealing both with the rigors of being in space inside the space shuttles. And with the idea of being in spacewalks, and also dealing with the impact on the body once they come home, so like it's a really interesting and exciting opportunity for people in the space research um, uh, field to to actually like work on something that's going to have immediate impact for people um, going to space and coming back. Um, something I learned reading about this is that apparently because of the lengthening of the spine once out in this like lower weightless um, or you know low weight weightless environment um, people uh, astronauts have this uh, growth in their spine up to seven centimeters of growth and when they come back they have an increased risk of slipped discs because they they have this sort of increased space between like the bones and the padding on their spine which is um actually kind of petrifying that's not a nice injury my dad had that and i can attest it's very very painful
3: I, I kind of like the idea that when you land after doing a couple of missions or what have you, you get this kind of like little mobility scooter with like a sweet little decal on the side from, you know, Space Force or, or you know, SpaceX or something like that. And you're like, I'm just easing back in six months of just cruising around.
2: Yeah, but I mean, if you're a badass astronaut, do you really want to be going around in a little astro cart? Like that seems a little bit like, you know, a loss of prestige to me. Or I mean, look, I'd want to be walking around like strutting my stuff if I had just been to space, but that's just me.
1: Maybe they'll yeah. give him a rover then, a sort of moon rover mm. or something ah. instead.
2: That could be cool. A mm. bit,
3: um, bit more but yeah, uh, macho? A
2: bit more macho, exactly.
3: Mm. Um also, uh, there has been uh, some, uh, a- another piece. Um, I have been watching Space Force, which has been uh, enjoyable, so my, uh, my ears do prick up when I hear something around this. Um, SpaceX and Space Force have got together to launch um, a GPS-3 satellite uh, for US Space Force, uh today which might have been overnight uh, our time uh it did employ the falcon 9 rocket um which uh is a brand new version of the um of the the rocket i think um and they did uh include a recovery attempt of the falcon 9 booster so basically just leave a bit of juice left in the can and uh and you can collect it um, it is interesting. It is it is fun. I think for SpaceX to be talking about customers like Space Force, um, you know, there's I, I guess sort of pros and cons to the commercialization of space, and we'll, we'll continue to talk about that. But um, yeah, that's exciting. Um, I'm, I'm kind of I'm just excited excited for more space stuff to happen. And we've had a, a good history of being involved in space exploration um, with kind of um, satellites here, and you know, we're a very quiet space on the other side of the, the planet. So looking forward to more stuff happening there.
2: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. are listening
3: to Bite Into It on Triple R. We've also got Laura uh, in the studio tonight. Uh, we are very excited to be uh, joined via uh, Skype with Dr. Lennon Chain. Uh, who's associate professor at, uh, well, a senior lecturer as well in criminology at Monash University? Um, Dr. Jane, thanks for joining us on the show tonight.
4: Good evening, everyone. Thanks for having me here. And nice no to be promoted here.
3: You've been promoted.
4: Yeah. Now, nice to be promoted here. I'm a senior lecturer, now associate professor.
3: Oh, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, well, we are going to need uh, all the senior people we can get uh, working on some of these issues. Um, uh, Australia has unfortunately been a, um, a bit of a hotspot for um, cybercrime, uh, both late last year and uh, and also in um, uh, the past kind of ten days or so. Um, what was the most recent sort of large-scale attack? There was a, a, a bit of news around it, and um, I think it kind of uh, took the federal government a bit um, out of their stride, and um, they were a little bit delayed that day, sort of um, sort of being public facing. But what, what actually happened most recently?
4: Well, if you probably see the, the prime minister was announcing that um, our government was under a serious cyber attack. Not only the government, but also uh, critical infrastructures, and. Well, he's trying very uh, careful in in the words, not to name any country, but it is said that it it, it's, it looks like a state sponsor activity as it's very sophisticated, sophisticated and organized. And uh, like um, just mentioned, um, Australia, Australia is not the only country that's under in, under this kind of attack. I, I believe most of the countries are under attack at the moment, as we are all. Online now, especially like um, now we are using the Skype radar than face-to-face, so they create a lot of opportunities for cyber criminals to conduct whatever they want to do.
3: Mm. And, and, and what kinds of things are, um, what, what is a large-scale cyber attack for people who don't know too much about this? What, um, what kind of things happen and, and how does it unfold?
4: Well, there wasn't uh, a lot of uh, detail into this kind of uh, uh, this this attack, but uh, according to what happens last year uh, to uh, ANU, that we we see uh, quite a bit of data was leaked, uh, research research uh, uh, outcomes, personal data were leaked, and these are usually the the, um, the information that uh, hackers are looking into and they, the the where they can get money from. For example, they can easily sell the personal data to uh, some uh, companies in order to to launch an online scam or online fraud. And for our government, I think um, what what we need to really uh, worry about is whether our critical infrastructure are under serious attack. For example, if um, our grid was under attack, we might not, we might lose power, we might lose some. Um, Electricity, we might lose some um, water because all these kind of things are actually under control by the internet uh, or or, um, or data now.
3: Hmm. Um, I'm interested to know your your background is more on the the criminal side of things and um, uh, I guess an interest in the, the technology there. Um, how how well is Australia defended in terms of the law, and what what kinds of um, actions can we take uh, when when a crime has been committed within the Australian jurisdiction?
4: yeah well when we when we talk when, when we when we read about cybersecurity uh, uh, resources or, or uh, reading about all this kind of uh, contribution from the government into uh, investment into uh, axi or hey uh, or trans uh, signature uh, uh, signal directory uh, we I sometimes feel that um, that's a huge part that has been missing or of course, our government is doing something on that now, but it's still not enough. That is uh, the human part. If we go into the uh, research, you will see a lot of uh, cyber attacks are not, are not caused by the the problem of the vulnerability or are not caused by the problem of the technology itself. It's more on the human errors. For example, um, the users don't really uh, protect their password well, or they they are being careless downloading. Um, um, Uh, uh, either pornography or or files from the internet without checking whether they have uh, malicious uh, uh, software embedded. And these are the parts that I think uh, will cause us a huge trouble and that might be something that we definitely need to put more uh, efforts and resources on. That is um, the cybersecurity awareness and the cyber hygiene issues.
2: Um, I'm curious, what do you think or do you have any sense of what the motives behind these kinds of attacks might be beyond individual phishing? Like, is there any broader strategy or do we think it's just like people seeing what they can do?
4: Well, in the past, it would be more like uh, the hackers showing showing off their skills. But for nowadays, uh, most of the cyber attacks are uh, pretty uh, sophisticated or organized. So they are actually targeting specific uh, information that they are looking for. They they, they are not they are not uh, doing what uh, we we used to do like fishing. You spray out the net and try to catch whatever fish you want, you catch. You can catch. Now it's more uh, what we call advanced persistent threats. So they are more well designed, uh, well uh, designed towards a specific group of people. For example, if I am going to. To hack into the government uh, agencies, I need to design something that will attract the uh, government uh, uh, workers to to open the, uh, to to open the email or to download the file that um, that might interest them. Or like, for example, faking to be uh, the prime minister sending an email to to someone in the, uh, the uh, department of foreign affairs asking for for some information or, or announcing some important uh, strategies or information. So that. People click in uh, in, uh, in order to attract people's attention to click into the link. Mm.
1: So, is is this kind of um, strategy is 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 it being employed by like every nation everywhere, and it's now becoming a more prominent part of I don't want to say warfare, but like uh, just general um, confusion uh, internationally when there's a dispute or something like that. Sorry, say that again is there like a is there efforts between countries to now disputes are handled with a lot of disinformation and hacking between countries is this like standard for a lot of countries now or you know even, or, or even it, organizations
4: it, it is becoming more and more and I think one of the reasons is that we don't really be, be able to to find out who is behind the scene and I think that's the reason why also the, uh, also the reason why Prime minister has been very careful not to name any countries although uh, it's been reported uh, a, a specific country is behind the thing. Um, one one thing tricky here for cyber attacks compared to uh, the traditional crime is we can't. It is quite difficult for us to link the evidence back to the the origin to the to the real attacker. Mm. And it, it, uh, uh, what 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 happens here is that even if you have all the evidence. We can't build up what I usually call the last mile, so we are not really arresting the one who is in charge. And this happens not only towards um, the attack um, on government agencies, but also like um, the uh, telephone scam or online scam. The government has put a lot of resources uh, trying to arrest uh, uh, scammers, but we still see this kind of uh, scam scam existing in our everyday lives and one of the main reasons is the people who are organising this are not arrested.
2: Um,
3: It was interesting, there was a a comment about um, not naming the country was a good strategy, and I think some of the sensitivities around saying, this thing is happening, it's... I think they suggested in the announcement that there was four or five countries that could potentially coordinate um, an attack like this. We're not going to say who it was. Um, what's what's the benefit to kind of saying it, it could be one of these countries, but we're not going to say who? What, why is that a good approach, do you think?
4: Well, well I think I, I won't say it's. Like, uh, I think the people think it's uh, the government thinks it's a good approach because they don't have enough evidence to really say which country is behind it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so like it's more like I I I can say someone might be suspicious behind it, but. In order to say that you, you might cause a, a, a conflict between two governments, not only two persons. Mm-hmm. So I would say, um, I, I, I sort of um, support uh, Scott Morrison in not naming any countries. Although, like what I said, um, they, they were leaking, uh, news leaking or from from uh, SD uh, naming China as the country behind the attack. and. People will probably uh, uh, not 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 probably not be not, not being surprised to hear that uh, either. But we need to be very careful when we really uh, we want to name um, someone. It's very much back to what um, you were discussing about uh, the sexual assault allegations. If you don't have any, any uh, right evidence, this kind of allegations online might be just becoming a bullying or it don't really it don't really. Um, uh, be able to, to have its effects.
2: Yeah, it could perhaps act as a way of saying, we see you and we kind of think we know who you are, but we're not going to name you because we're going to hold our cards close to our chest. So, I mean, this is like one of those wars of attrition, right, where like knowledge is power. So if we tell you, we suspect you, that's a form of power in itself.
4: Yeah, but isn't it what we usually do? Uh, even at school, we, we, uh, the teacher always said, "We well, I know who did it, but I want you to to stand up and and <laughs> tell me that you you are the one who did it."
3: In terms of the um, the announcement today uh, of, of sort of more funding to to tackle this kind of um, effort um, over the next decade, do you think they've got it right? And what are the kinds of sort of sy- systemic system wide things that we should be doing to to um, create a more robust kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, information community or, or kind of um, sort of maintain our sovereignty in terms of data attacks or, or sort of cyber attacks?
4: Well, I think um, putting more resources onto uh strengthening cybersecurity is a key thing for no matter which which country uh, you are now. Um, like what we're saying, everything is online, everything is going through the internet, all the critical infrastructure, water, power, traffic are uh, all controlled by by the internet so if uh, any of, the, of of this uh, creative infrastructure get into trouble everyone is in trouble so we'll, we'll, uh, really, I really I, I do welcome uh, to see the government uh, putting more investment into uh, this area but of course what we need to worry is um, where the um, we're giving uh, how to balance um, the power uh, between security and and freedom of speech, as well as um, the surveillance. But we don't want the government to be uh, um, controlling everything every day in our everyday life. We don't want Australian government to build up something like the the Great Wall that China, Chinese government is doing in, in in censoring all the information. So how to how 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 to build up a check and balance will be very important here. Um, and also another thing I I, I I would like to mention is that. While we are putting all the um, uh, resources into strengthening cybersecurity, in, uh, especially in the hardware, in the in the uh, ASD, in the uh, uh, intelligence capacities, we need to. We also need to put uh, resources into education as well, to educate the general public, to educate people uh, to have more sense of cybersecurity and cyber hygiene, and we need to. to educate more uh, people, more, more, more kids uh, uh, to, to get involved in this area, not only from uh, uh, Steam side, but also from social sciences side.
1: Well, hopefully between the time that uh, the education gap and what we do now, we don't um, put a foot wrong, uh, and uh, other countries as well. So um, thank you, Dr. Chang, for yeah, that uh, insightful chat. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show.
4: Thanks for having me. RRR.
3: if you are um i guess spending a bit more time uh out and about um and uh, not the recent kind of lockdown conditions i know i am i'm getting a little bit more uh running and such which is good um you might be keeping track of your um, movement data or you may may have been doing it anyway uh, over recent years um a piece of uh news has come a little bit concerning for, for many of us uh, Google is, um, require Fitbit and uh, years of um, personal data from Fitbit users and the ACCC is a little bit concerned at this. Um, We're now joined uh, on the the phone uh, by Dr Catherine Kemp um, of UNSW. Um, Dr Kemp, thanks for joining us on the the show tonight.
0: Great to be with you.
3: Why why is this a problem? Why should we be worried about Google and and Fitbit getting cosy, do you think?
0: Well, uh, what the C is particularly worried about here is the ways in which uh, Google getting its hands on Fitbit's data might reduce competition in certain markets, including the markets for health uh, services, um, various digital health services, and uh, in advertising technology markets. But for us as individuals, I think we should also be particularly concerned about the privacy effects of Google being able to acquire the data sets, which include really sensitive data that Fitbit has uh, collected over a number of years now on its uh, over 28 million uh, users.
3: It's a little bit creepy, the idea. Idea that you kind of be, um, you know, uh, struggling with your kind of heart rate or your fitness levels, and start getting served up ads about sort of getting a cholesterol check and um, and, and stuff like that. It's,
0: yeah, um, and it's even more than it's even more than ads of course because at the moment that's something that we can foresee we can see if somebody has uh, our heart rate and our sleep patterns um our food logs as these wearable devices collect uh that they might be able to work out um some products that we'd be interested in or some tendencies we might have that for suggesting health advice but there's a lot more to it than that because In future, this data could be used, for example, to determine whether you're eligible for certain insurance or your fitness for certain employment, Um, and it could be passed on in different ways. For example, some people uh, are predicting that Google will ultimately move into health services and insurance itself. And if it becomes a dominant supplier in these areas, then it can work to your real disadvantage if uh, it's able to work out that you have a tendency to certain health conditions.
2: Um, Catherine, I'm curious, and perhaps this is something of a naive question, um, but how does it even work? If I've given Fitbit my data and I've given them my consent to collect that data over the years, how is it even legally possible for Google to suddenly like capture it all? Like, it doesn't. It's it's not the agreement that I, as a consumer, even said yes to.
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting question because you'll see in a lot of companies' privacy policies that they will say, we do not sell your data. And yet they will often say in the... a lot later in the privacy policy that if they decide to sell your business, their business that they will sell your data as an asset as part of that business. And so while you might have faith in the privacy practices of the firm that you actually signed up with it's quite possible that they will sell your data as part of their business to a very different kind of company. Um, in this instance I believe that um, Google has made some suggestions that it would allow uh, users to opt out uh, at some point. Uh, They're not binding representations, Um, but it, it is a real issue in this case and in other cases that just like you, a lot of consumers would think, I've only made an agreement with this company, but these sales of businesses are a major way that the tech giants and others uh acquire the personal data collected by much smaller firms
2: i'm really curious about how these sorts of inferences about people might be um, subtly and perhaps invisibly changing their interaction with the web if we think about google as the access to the web for many many people in the world um, and this this brings to mind that story, which I'm sure you all heard back in 2016, where the woman um, discovered she was pregnant through changes in the data in her Fitbit, and I was just thinking, how weird would it be if suddenly I started seeing, like, um, pregnancy tablets or baby clothes without even knowing that I was pregnant yet? Like, how strange would that be, and is that the sort of future that we might be heading towards?
0: Yeah, because, you see, that's one example that does make a lot of us, sit up and and think um, that there's a creepiness to this, that a a company might know these things before us. Um, But it it can occur in a lot, much more subtle ways than this. For example, um, Microsoft has been working with researchers who've worked out that even by examining your scrolling and clicking patterns online, they could determine whether somebody is developing Parkinson's disease. So whereas it might seem like you're revealing very harmless data or you might not even be aware of revealing data in the case of your scrolling and clicking patterns, when that information is collected over time and combined with other data sets, it can uh, then reveal to these companies your propensity to a certain disease well before you know about it yourself. And that's very concerning when we think about the possible ways that people could be excluded or discriminated against on the basis of that information.
3: What can the ACCC kind of actually do about this? Um, I, I guess it's been trying to be a little bit more in this space um, uh, and, and taking on the tech recently, um, what can they do? What, what are its chances?
0: Well, in this case, the reality is that since the Google Fitbit merger would be taking place across numerous jurisdictions across around the world, that um, the overall outcome is most likely to be decided by the major jurisdictions, like um, the decisions made by the European Commission or the US Department of Justice. Uh, Both of those entities are likely to be taking into account the ACCC's views on this, but we'll likely see um, decisions being made between those jurisdictions. And it's possible, as has happened in the past, that the European Commission would decide uh, to... Um, say that the a merger can't go ahead, even though the American authorities have given it the green light, in which case it ultimately is unlikely to go ahead at all. Um, so it's In in this case, it's unlikely that the, the overall outcome would rest with the ACCC, but it's important that its views are going to be taken into account there. In addition to that, as you mentioned, the ACCC has already been active in this area. Last year, it published its final report of its digital platforms inquiry, which was informally known as the Google Facebook Inquiry. And there were some really um, wide-ranging recommendations to come out of that, including recommendations for major reforms of our Privacy Act, which really doesn't go far enough to protect our interests in the digital era. In uh, our Privacy Act, the protections are well behind the protections that you would see in Europe, for example, under the General Data Protection Regulation.
3: What can kind of the, uh, the average uh, consumer who, who might be interested in, in sort of the utility of a, a thing like a Fitbit or, a, or an Apple Watch or what have you, what, what can we do if that um, if kind of uh, national regulators and kind of lawmakers can't really influence this in, in any great way?
0: I think it's really important for people who might want to use a device like this to always be aware, firstly, of um, doing the hard slog and reading the privacy policies. They're not designed to be helpful. Um, it's one of the biggest problems of privacy policies. So you really have to uh, try and work out exactly the extent to which your data could be disclosed. And in this case, um, to see also what developments there are in the news if the company that you've actually bought a device with might be selling their business that you'd want to exercise your opt-out if you're concerned about what would happen with your information. And I think in addition to that, to really pay attention more broadly to you know, which companies are offering privacy respecting alternatives and innovations that you know uh, you you look to companies like DuckDuckGo and Brave for example uh, and see the developments of, of what are different models Um, to the models that Google and Facebook put forward where they are essentially harvesting our personal data constantly uh, and using it in pervasive ways. So I, I think informing yourself of the different options that are available is really important, but it's no easy task. And I think that's a key message that the ACCC has been trying to hammer home in its recommendations for law reform in Australia.
3: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I, I kind of um, it's hard to tell whether you see them kind of just rattling their sabers and, and they're they're a little bit toothless with these um, these larger um, sort of tech platforms, um, or whether if countries and um, and blocks like the EU do get together and and demand change, whether we do start to see that. I, th- I think in other areas like you know Facebook and things like um, stop hate and um, hate for profit. It does. It does have an impact over time if if enough of us do it. Is good. But um, just such a an epic scale for for the average person to kind of get their head around, isn't it?
0: Absolutely. And and that's one thing that I think is really important. Um, you'll often hear people speaking in the regulatory sort of policy debates about how consumers are really failing to protect their own interests because they're using services that don't have. Um, good privacy terms attached to them and that's really our failure either for being too lazy or too apathetic to make sure that um, we use a service with acceptable privacy terms. I I think that's just nonsense. Um, When you look at the Uh, the range of products that are available and are dominant and, in many cases, indispensable, we're not being offered um, real choices in privacy terms. And we should stop trying to shift blame down the line onto consumers. We need some fundamental changes in the extent of privacy protections that are available to people. And, for example, we need to start saying in Australia, it's not good enough to say that you have a consumer's consent to your privacy policy because you implied that consent was implied um, by them using the service. We need higher standards of consent, which require express consent and consent, which is separated out into the separate purposes, so we can even begin to have real choice and real information about how our personal data is used. So, there are some really fundamental shifts we need there.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Catherine. You're basically like singing my song right now. I'm so, I was sort of quietly just clapping along as you said that. Um, It's been a real pleasure chatting to you about the implications of this merger between Google and Fitbit. Um, It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, really wonderful to have you on the show.
3: Thank you very much to our guest tonight. Uh, Thank you to Dr. Lennon Chang for um, stopping by and uh, talking to us about um, some of the uh, cyber attacks that Australia has been experiencing and and sort of talking through uh, some of the background to that and and what we can, uh, I guess, do about it. kind of nice to, to be sort of seeing some more money going into that space as well. But um, I guess we'll have to keep an eye on it. Laura, are there sort of any particular things that you sort of, your ears prick up at when you hear about money being invested into sort of um, protecting us against cybercrime?
2: Well, I'm really curious to know how much of that's going back to the cyber research, you know, like to people like at Melbourne Uni and RMIT that we know and have on the show frequently to see if that's going to support their research in space as well as the development of actual tools. Um but yeah, look, I, I don't know. I think we'll we'll just have to see how the budget falls out to to sort of like make any further assessments of this particular investment.
3: Also thank you to Dr. Catherine Kemp from UNSW, uh, talking through Google and Fitbit. Dan, Laura, it was heaps of fun. Bite into it, we'll be back next week.
1: Thank you.
2: Hi, this is Vanessa
0: De Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts.